0: There is a, a uh, disinformation program literally for everyone, no matter who you are and what what your interests are, uh, what your beliefs are, uh, which which way you're focusing. There is a website set up just for you to take you in and to vector your thinking and your attention into into the way that they want you to think. <coughs> to Radio Free Signs of
1: the Times, broadcasting into the heart of an occupied America.
2: Welcome to this week's Signs of the Times podcast. I'm Henry. I'm Joe. I'm Scott, and we're back here this week with Laura Yadchik to finish our discussion of disinformation campaigns in the 9/11 Truth movement. Welcome, Laura.
0: Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Scotty. Think nothing
2: of it. It's always an honor. (laughs) Your check's in the mail. (laughs) We began our discussion on this topic by looking at an article that had appeared in Vanity Fair discussing the disinformation campaign that went on around the Niger yellow cake uranium issue and the war in Iraq In that, we saw that these disinformation campaigns are prepared well in advance, that the players are put into place, and they are brought in as needed as the campaign unfolds. The comparison was made to a symphony orchestra, and all of the players are playing together. In the case of a disinfo campaign, unlike in an orchestra, not everybody knows everybody else. Some of the people are not aware of the entire uh, overall purpose of the campaign. They may not be aware that they're even part of a campaign. They're simply put into place to play a certain role, and at the moment that they're needed, they're told what to do and they do it.
0: Or they're fed information that they think is, you know, top secret, you know, super duper uh, I- I- exciting. Release of of the biggest secret in the world, and then they they go and say, "Oh, I've got this, you know, great tux, top secret information. It's been released to me. Somebody contacted me, and they let me know, and they told me all about it." And they don't even realize that they're a patsy, that they're a dupe, that it's you know, it's it's intended for them to uh, release this information or to say this to someone.
2: We've certainly seen that more than once.
0: More than once.
2: We then uh, started to look at. Our own experience and Laura's experience with disinformation campaigns back beginning with her investigations into unidentified flying objects and incidents around the MUFON organization in Florida that gave her an introduction on the ground, so to speak, that then later enabled her to start seeing similar patterns in what was happening after 9-11 in particular in the alternative news world, where it was obvious that the mainstream media was a mouthpiece for the Bush administration. But when you know something about disinformation, you know that the other side is going to be preparing its covert operatives in the opposition. And given that disinformation campaigns are set up well in advance, you can imagine that websites, alternative journalists, other people would be put into positions where they would later be able to play their role. Again, some of these people may be conscious. They may know what they are doing. But then there are an awful lot of people who may not be, who are just dupes and patsies who are put into place, like a Lee Harvey Oswald or yeah. a James Earl Ray, who will then be eliminated as needed. As Laura mentioned then um a tactic
1: used is that certain people could be um, in the nine eleven truth movement, for example, could be given uh, information uh, by some high level source that had credentials, uh, that proven credentials. They were maybe a member of the military or a member of the the American kind of political system, and and they would pre- be presenting themselves as a, as an insider who wanted to you know expose the evildoers or expose the uh, the truth, but in reality they're actually part of the of the of the plot. They're part of the, they're they are part of they they are Rather than exposing the evildoers, they're, they're one of the evildoers themselves. But they present themselves as, as the opposite of that. And in that way, they control it. For example, they can, they, any of the 9-11 truth uh, websites could have been... Uh, any, any, any of the people who organize or, or own these websites could have been contacted by such people. And they, they, they have no reason to believe that the person that they're talking to is not uh, legitimate. And they're given real information. But it's uh, information, it's, it's, it's part of a limited hangout. It's, it's, a, it's a partial exposure of the truth in order to control uh, the,
2: the, full, the, the exposure of the full truth. We see this quite often in the fact that it's okay to say that it was an inside job on the part of the Bush administration, but don't touch the fact that Israel had anything to do with it.
0: Yeah, and another typical example is, for example, Truth.org that recently... Uh, uh, published a piece about uh, Karl Rove being indicted uh, <laughs> uh, in the the Patrick Fitzgerald investigation and uh, that later turned out to be absolutely false. This, this was kind of an interesting thing when the report came out, uh, as you will notice if you examine the Signs of the Times historically in the archives, you will see that we did not publish this. The reason being when I read it, I knew it was disinformation. Because I know that grand jury investigations are not designed to get to the truth. Grand jury investigations are designed to conceal the truth, because once testimony is, is, is gotten into a, uh, or is obtained through a grand jury investigation, it can be sealed. So any and all information about this incident that is, that is being funneled into this grand jury investigation that is being run by, by Patrick Fitzgerald, is essentially being closed off from public view, perhaps forever. So anybody who has any hope in their heart that Patrick Fitzgerald is going to get to the truth and is going to expose the Bush administration, is going to do anything at all. Remember, arresting Scooter Libby and getting all this stuff into a grand jury file is just a means of concealing it forever. It ain't never going to come out,
1: honey. It, it provides uh, the appearance of democracy, that democracy is still working in America, that there is still a, a judicial system that investigates uh, wrongdoing in, in, among politicians and, uh, and and prosecutes them. So this is very important for the world, for American people and for the, the world's public, to convince them that everything is still okay, that everything is still functioning. But we notice that nothing ever really
2: gets done. Nothing. There is no justice. Justice is never served. Exactly. Getting back to the summary of what we what we were talking about in our previous podcasts, in the second podcast, we started to look at the Jeff Rents site. In particular, we began with our own relations with Jeff Rents over the years. That led us to begin to have some questions about what the real purpose of the Jeff Rents website really is. After that, we started to look at the case of John Kaminsky, which for us is a very sad case because in in John's case, what we've seen is a very passionate and powerful writer who has been marginalized by those around him to the point where his writing now is carried by fewer and fewer websites. It became clear to us that John was being played by, by certain individuals. We didn't know who those individuals were at the time. But it was clear to us that he was being played, and last year we collected some nickels and dimes from members of our various discussion groups in order to buy John Kaminsky a ticket to come over and to cool out a bit and maybe to get a different perspective on things. What happened was he was prevented from coming by a number of, of incidents that we discussed last week, and finally he didn't come, and we thought that was the end of it. That was in early August of two thousand and five. And then shortly after that, something very strange happened, and I guess Laura's gonna pick up on that tonight.
0: Just as I as I revealed to our listeners last week, I received an email from John Kaminsky on August the fifth. And this was because I had sent to him an email. I remember that he had Said that he was concerned about coming here because he had been told by a confidential source that he would be arrested upon uh, getting off the plane in Paris because he had written some uh, Holocaust revisionist articles. And we explained to him that, you know, this wasn't very likely because France is not interested and arresting Americans, you know, who write things about Holocaust revisionism, which at this point I don't believe is illegal in the United States. The people that were arrested were were tried and had been found guilty of crimes in particular countries, and even, even they were not being molested when they traveled in France because France wasn't particularly interested in um, enforcing these judgments. But in any event, after... Hearing his fears and so forth, either, you know, the very next day in the news, there was the article about um, a so-called Belgian Holocaust denier Siegfried Verbecki being arrested in Amsterdam in the Netherlands uh, to be extradited to Germany for trial. Well, aside from the extraordinary coincidence, just as we're talking about this, just as uh, John Kaminsky is concerned about this, and just as we are reassuring him that this is not likely to happen in France, lo and behold, it does happen in Amsterdam on the very the very next day. John had said that his informant told him that there was going to be an increase in uh, or uh, putting on the heat on um, these types of people, and he wrote in this email to me. Just when I decided to wing it, go for it, this has to happen. The original warning, and he's here referring to the original warning that he had received about his own travel, the original warning used the phrase, intensified new campaign. And that's what really got my attention, that and the credibility of the sender. There recently have been more people snatched than you know about. Very big things are about to happen very soon could be obliterating Iran, or it could be those eight nukes the Mossad has dispersed around the U.S. Now, that was a really curious thing to say, that Mossad had dispersed eight nuclear uh, bombs of some sort around the U.S. in preparation to use them at some point in time. He says, I've heard of one of them in Tampa. So I want to keep a big image on the web, but a very small image in person. So that was... uh that was his decision and we accepted it because of course being a little bit spooked by this guy being arrested in Amsterdam what what were what were we going to say you know i mean it was just it was just too much of a coincidence and i even privately wondered uh, uh, if the coincidental arrest of this other individual had not been arranged for the express purpose of spooking me and spooking john now that's you know that's a little bit extreme view and maybe a little too paranoid but you know sometimes uh, you're not paranoid enough but in any event that was that and that was right around August 5th so some time went by and and we continued with our you know normal everyday work you know I mean the, the world going to hell in a handbasket was pretty much the daily fare and it was it was discouraging hasn't changed. Yeah, that hasn't changed. And then uh oh what 10 12 13 days went by so it was it was August 18th and a reader sent me an email. And in in this email they included a quoted post from a rather popular food fight discussion board on the internet called Godlike Productions. Now Godlike Productions uh was a website that we had already exposed as being very closely linked to some unusual uh, forces, shall we say, that there were some neocon connections behind the scenes, there were some uh, apparent Mossad connections, and there were certainly some connections to some strange um, activities, including perverted sex, pedophilia, and so on and so forth. So we already had a pretty good idea that Godlike Productions was definitely a disinformation website uh, or at the very least it was what what is called a vacuum cleaner operation where it attracts a lot of readers and posters and so forth and and keeps the pulse on uh, the finger on the pulse of what they're thinking and doing so that the disinformation uh, campaigns can morph and change in response to what people are thinking what they're doing what they're planning and basically is is a data collection operation so any of you who Feel inclined to go there and post, you better spread the word that this is not the place to do it because all they're doing is collecting data and spreading disinformation. But in any event, this reader sent me this post that had been put up on Godlike Productions, and it was posted by an individual calling themselves Quinn the Eskimo. And it was posted on the 16th, I didn't receive it until the 18th. And it said, okay, enough about Nancy and the Zetas. What do you know about Laura and the Cassiopeians? And here was the answer. From deep inside Cassiopeia, Laura has managed to seduce another one. This time it was John Kaminsky. Her and Ark were going to publish all of his books in Europe. She sent him a $1,400 ticket to fly to France and seal the deal. Suddenly, a couple of weeks ago, Kaminsky mysteriously dropped out of the deal. Laura thinks that he read this forum and decided against dealing with her and ARC. She is one unhappy camper. Well, aside from the fact that the uh, the assessment of what I do or do not think was completely inaccurate and some of the details were off, what was startling about this was the fact that whoever wrote it knew how much that plane ticket cost. I mean, it was within something like five dollars of fourteen hundred dollars for a round trip ticket. And the fact of that was was that only four people here knew the cost, which were myself, one of the SAT team members who was tasked with the job of searching the airfares, finding the best price and getting the ticket and sorting out the details of the itinerary. The accountant and the treasurer of the Quantum Future Group. Those were the four people who really were concerned with knowing it. It wasn't like, you know, we run down and say, oh, you know, if we got a ticket It costs this. I mean, it just simply wasn't a subject of conversation. And then, of course, the other person who knew, aside from the four people here, was John Kaminsky. So I of course, began to wonder about John Kaminsky himself, naturally, because he was the only person that I knew, knew. So I wrote to him and I said, the problem with the post, and I sent him the copy of this post. I said, uh, one of our readers found this post on Godlike Productions. In any event, the problem with the post is that it is quite inaccurate in that we do not publish books for other people in Europe, but in Canada. Second, our meeting had nothing to do with that, but we had hoped to communicate a number of other things. Our offer to help you publish your books is still open. There were no strings attached to that, nor were there any strings attached to a visit. The speculations about what I may or may not think are also ridiculous. But what is interesting is the figure of the cost of the ticket. Only four people knew that figure, the four people who had a need to know, because of accounting and you. The question is, did you tell anyone about the cost of the ticket or any of the details that have now popped up in this twist and shout job? If not, then we might think that monitoring is a certainty. Thanks for any info you can share with me. So, I got an email back from John, which basically just said sigh, and then another one where he indicated that uh, the possibility was that uh, his girlfriend, and remember we talked about his girlfriend last week, his girlfriend Judy Andreas, uh, uh, who is now a popular columnist for the Jeff Rents website. The long and short of it is, is we never did find out anything at that point. So some time went by and, and uh, some, a few other things developed, and then finally, after several months when John had a situation with the Jeff Rents website where he suddenly realized that you know, the things that he was writing about and talking about were not going to be published there, we had another conversation. This conversation was by telephone, and, and I tried to explain to him, John, you're being provoked to write things that are going to get you in trouble, and this is, uh, you know, this is deliberate. You're being manipulated. You're being maneuvered and he uh, he ex- he explained to me that he understood that now and that most of the problem had to do with this former girlfriend of his this Judy Andreas who I understand was and this is from an inside source that she was more or less doing the uh doing the circuit uh going from alternative researcher to alternative researcher looking for a place to land so i asked him a little bit more about this. And finally he said to me, he says, you know he said, the reason I didn't come in August was because Jeff France and Jay Wiedner told me that you were counterintelligence or that you were a government agent, you were CIA. He was telling this to me, you know, that, that, that this is what Jeff Rents and Jay Wiener were telling people. Also that they put in the scare tactic about the Holocaust denial issue, that he would be arrested and so on. And he said that he only realized later that they had been completely lying to him. And I said, well, there's nothing you can do about it now because you've already been maneuvered into a situation where you've been completely marginalized, you've been you know, provoked to write things that you should never have written, uh, you've been provoked into emotional reactions to one thing or another by false information being fed to you, and you have written articles, you know, first one way and then another, uh, you've been you know, told that people who were good people were disinformation agents by disinformation agents who were maneuvering you, and there's just really not too much we can do about it right now. Uh, the only thing that would really help would be if you, you know, began to write about it and about your experiences and who was who and who was on first. But in any event, what we really understood at that point was that Jeff Rantz And Jay Wiener were very much in cahoots, and we remembered remembered back to the time when Jeff Frantz published the defamatory piece about me when I had been invited to speak on the Jeff Frantz show, which, as I've said, was the only time I've ever known Jeff Frantz to publish defamation about one of his invited guests, even before they are speaking on the show.
2: And we've gone into great detail on that incident in the second part of this podcast.
0: Yeah, so it became pretty clear who was behind the disinformation. But then John told me something else that was kind of interesting. He said that he'd had conversations with Jeff, and, and that Jeff had explained to him that he knew Jay Wiener from way back and that he really trusted him and he knew he was you know, a, a, a great guy and that they had both started out together as members of a group uh, under the leadership of Ray Flowers. Now, Ray Flowers runs the Sand Grail Dot com or net or org website and he is very thick in the uh, the Vincent Bridges Jay Weedner and even the Drunvalo Melchizedek he's he's kind of like a, a focus or a node for the new age uh, UFO di- disinformation kind of thing so obviously Jeff Rentz had been kind of uh, groomed and disconnected from that crowd to a certain extent so that they, so that the obvious ties were not so obvious. And he was kind of like a bridge between the UFO New Age crowd into the 9-11 type crowd. And then the bridge goes from Jeff Renz over to Michael Rivero of What Really Happened, who was much less into UFOs and weird stuff and more into, you know, total 9-11 alternative news. And then there are several other uh, websites that then bridge to Michael Rivero's What Really Happened, which become more... Uh, shall we say, purified of the taint of interest in UFOs and new age type phenomena, so y- you begin to see when you start tracking these relationships you know how they 've set this up there is there is a a uh, disinformation program literally for everyone, no matter who you are and what what your interests are. Uh, what your beliefs are, uh, which which way you're focusing, there is a website set up just for you to take you in and to um, you know to vector your thinking and your attention into into the way that they want you to think. And like uh, this this Unger fellow wrote in Vanity Fair, and it really deserves uh, being quoted again. He said, "Unraveling a disinformation campaign is no easy task." It means entering a kingdom of shadows, peopled by would-be Machiavellis who are practiced in the art of deception. In the world of fabrication, you don't just drop something and let someone pick it up. Your first goal is to make sure it doesn't find its way back to you, so you do several things. You may start out with a document that is a forgery, that is a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy, which makes it hard to track down you go through cutouts. Now, cutout is, is a group or an individual set up to be your mouthpiece, somebody to whom you feed information who then goes out and says, oh, I got this, you know, the secret information and, and uh, I'm revealing it, I'm going to leak it. For example, uh, Judy Miller, Judith Miller of the New York Times was a cutout for the releasing of the so-called, you know, the Niger Yellow Cake information, the uh, weapons of mass destruction and so on and so forth, and the people who were feeding... Her, this information were, of course, you know, the administration itself. So that's what a cutout is. You go through cutouts so that the person who puts it out doesn't know where it came from. In other words, you know, Judy Miller knew that it came from who it came from, her particular confidential source, but she didn't know where he got it. And you build in subtle, nuanced errors so you can say we would never misspell that. If it's very cleverly done, it's a chess game, not checkers. Reporters who have entered this labyrinth often emerge so perplexed that they choose not to write about it. The chances of being manipulated are very high. That's why I decided to stay out of it, said Claudio Gatti, a New York-based investigative reporter. Well, we had to get into it and look at it and study it because we were being affected by it, and it was very confusing. Um, But fortunately, we have enough members of our research group to dig on any given subject, to find the threads and pull them and to see who connects together. So we've we've spent the last, oh, what, uh, four or five years mapping disinformation, mapping counterintelligence, and talking about it as often as we get the chance. But I would say that this, this particular little series of discussions is... The first time we've spoken about it, other than what we've published in our articles, and the first time we've spoken about it so openly. We have talked about some of the the behind-the-scenes events.
2: That's because these are not things that you want to talk about lightly. You need to wait until you get enough data so that you're not inadvertently accusing honest or sincere people of something. So you have to be very, very careful about it.
0: Well, that's exactly so. And the thing about the Rentz situation was, even when John Kaminsky told me, confirmed for me, the close relationship between Jeff Rentz and Jay Weedner, Weedner, who I knew to be part of a disinformation campaign because of the behaviors that he had uh, manifested toward us, uh, toward you know our work, which was you know pretty much simple and cut and dried. We had no idea or interest in being involved in any kind of uh, p- political discussions of any kind. But that confirmed for me that rents was a disinformation plant. However, I still at that point was not willing or ready to, to say too much more about that. I, I did write a couple of articles where I hinted at it, where I uh, mentioned it in passing and in some cases, you know even even made a few statements. For example, uh, Robin Ramsey wrote in the February issue of Fortean Times on this subject, and this was after an exchange I had had with Robin myself, where I was pointing out to him that you know, gee, you know, you're supposed to be the the guy who knows all about conspiracy theory. How come you How come you're not on top of this one?
1: This is Robin Ramsey from Lobster Magazine. Lobster
0: Magazine, yeah. This is supposed to be the you know the the primo uh, magazine on conspiracy theories. So he wrote in Fortean Times about the fact that Jeff Rentz and Alex Jones were both listed on a government uh, website, I think it was the State Department, as the primo disinformation or misinformation, is what they call it, sites on the web that they spread conspiracy theories. Well, as Robin Ravsey pointed out, you don't have to be a public relations specialist to understand that by doing this, that the government has given the basically good housekeeping seal of approval to Jeff Rents and Alex Jones as their preferred disinformation websites, the ones that they approve of, the ones they want to, want you to read and listen to and be associated with because naturally they own them.
1: I find it very interesting the way the government puts up, as it has done, puts up uh, who they have deemed to be disinformation or misinformation because it kind of works for both kind of sections to both types of people. You have the ordinary person who believes most of what the government says and, 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 you know, maybe gets a little bit interested or hears about conspiracy theories and they go maybe to this government website and they see these sites, these sites, rants and whoever, they see, okay, these are disinformation sites. They go and they have a look and they they can see their disinformation. So it, it serves to confirm for the ordinary person, that you know, the government kind the, the government knows what conspiracies are, and, and that these are crazy conspiracy theories. These are these websites, but for people who are already into the whole idea of, 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 of uh, that conspiracies may be real, they they look at these websites, and then they realize that okay, if the government says these are just information, then they must be telling they the must truth. They must be the genuine, genuine yeah. article. So you get it's like yeah, you get two two birds with one stone type of thing. You know, you, uh, it, it's very. Pretty sneaky, you know? Well,
0: I mean, people have to remember this: uh, that these these people in these you know hallowed halls of, of power and, and corruption, they have a lot of money. I mean, there's uh, what is it a billion dollar budget that was given to propaganda uh, about the Iraq War, and then there was this this British guy, this Chris uh, Christian Bailey, who was given this mm-hmm. huge contract to. Plant stories in the in the, yeah, Iraqi, the Iraqi media, media yeah. yeah, so you have to remember they have almost unlimited funds, probably unlimited funds, and one of the things they spend these funds on, and this is this is something we've brought out in our research, is they spend it on research on how best to manipulate the minds of human beings, the masses of people that means that they hire psychologists psychiatrists uh, Advertising specialists, motivation masters, uh, neurolinguistic programming people, you know, just just a whole whole gang of people who spend 24-7 figuring out how to keep you deceived. And if you think that they didn't think about how to set up opposition to themselves to make it seem like it was opposing them and to make it seem as legitimate as possible so that they can then knock it down like a straw man, then please think again. We're not dealing with stupid people. And and if you think that the CIA or the NSA or the FBI, all these people, they're bumbling idiots because they screw up ever so often. Believe me, those screw ups are planned. They are planned to make the public think, make people like even Robin Ramsey think how screwed up and how uncoordinated and how incompetent they are because they want people to think that.
2: How often do you hear the counter-argument to conspiracy theory being that these people aren't capable of functioning that way, that there'd be some gaffe, something would happen, somebody would find out, therefore the conspiracy theory is impossible?
1: Yeah. Not only do they have, um, as you say, a very large budget to fund this kind of thing, but they also have a long history and a lot of experience in in doing this already i mean it's, it's not enough even to go back to you know jfk i mean they, they, they sure uh, they learned a lot from from the jfk thing they you know there was a conspiracy to kill the president and they they knew probably beforehand that there was going to be some a lot of people who would see through it because that's one of the problems if you you're going out to commit a crime kind of quite blatantly and then cover it up there's a lot of intelligent people out there who are going to go hang on a minute, you know, and then they're going to start researching it. So you got to preemptively take care of that aspect. And they, they, they do that, and they have a long history and a lot of experience of how to manage that. So at this stage, uh, in terms of 9-11, I mean, they, knew, they, they had planned 9-11 for a long time, and they also had planned well in advance what they were going to do in terms of
2: controlling... Uh, the people who they knew would be asking the questions. So you go back and you look in American history, just over the last hundred and, and some years, beginning with the Cuban War at the end of the 19th century where they torpedoed the Maine uh. or they attacked the Maine, you have that going to the Lusitania, which was an incident prior to bringing the United States into World War One. You then of Pearl Harbor coming into World War Two. You get an incident of a an American boat being attacked off of Korea, bringing America, the justification for the Korean War, the same scenario, bringing America into the Vietnam War with the Gulf of Tonkin, on and on and on. Same scenario, same they, scenario. They, Leading up to nine eleven, it's the same they, damn thing that's been a, going on. They have a template. They, they have, have a, a template. template. And, they,
1: and, and, and they, they know it works, and they put it into operation, and it works every time. They've been perfecting and it for 100 years. All the, well, the thing is, 100 years, I would suggest that it goes back... For as long as pathocrats have sat in power over millions of people, uh, I mean, right from the beginning when they, when, when they rose to these positions of power, they realised, the first thing they realised was that if they're going to maintain those positions, they have to control people. And the way you control people is, way, is, is you control what's in their heads, what they believe, and you do that by controlling information. So control of information is what we're talking about here, and it has been a central aspect of people positions of power, maintaining those positions of power, for,
2: for as long as that existed. But I hear with. you, brother.
1: That's I'm what we're dealing with. We're dealing with that kind of history.
2: We're going to end it there for the moment. We'll be back with a continuation of this discussion of counterintelligence, black ops, and the 9-11 Truth Movement. For more information, visit our website, www.signs-of-the-times.org. Thanks for joining us.